Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our study in the book of Romans. This is the fourth uh, program that we have uh, taught on Romans the 11th chapter. We're going to continue with that because Romans 11 is talking about the natural branches of Israel being cut off and the olive branch, the wild olive branch, being grafted in. And so Paul is telling them in Romans really what the prophets were prophesying about because he literally ends the 10th chapter of Romans by saying, well did Isaiah say, you know, uh, who has believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And then he talks about how all day long I held out my hands to a rebellious people, yet they would not come into the covenants of promise because they sought it by works, as it were, and not by faith. So as he comes into the 11th chapter of Romans, he's talking about the natural branch being cut off, and he's talking about the, uh, the wild olive branch being brought in. But the emphasis of Romans 11, I can't reiterate this enough, is not the branches, it's the vine. Because the source of life itself is the vine. And last week we talked about out out of the, the Gospels where Jesus literally says, He says to them, every branch that does not bring forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I believe that was the rejection of natural Israel, who uh, out of which there was several that were a remnant that believed and received it according to faith, but the bulk of them and the covenant that was to natural Israel was about to find its demise in 70 AD when the temple would be destroyed and the exclusive covenant with Yahweh would not just be exclusive any longer, but it would be God all in all. That would be the inclusion of the Gentiles. And I told you in some prior segments how that You know, he talks about even predestination. Who to him he did foreknow, he did also predestinate. But if you look at the context of those predestination scriptures, he's not simply talking about who gets to go to heaven and who goes to hell. He's talking about the fact that he had predetermined and predestined the inclusion of the Gentiles, that they would be brought into the covenants of promise because it is declared in the promise of God to Abraham that in your seed will all the nations of the earth be blessed. And we have established in prior segments that Jesus was that seed. Galatians chapter 3 and 4 says, not seeds as of many, but one seed, and your seed which is Christ's. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we're not preaching replacement theology, we're preaching placement theology because Jesus was always the seed to whom the promise was made. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed. And the real Israel of God that sees the power of the resurrection life and life from the dead are those who by faith enter into God's new covenant promises and receive a righteousness that is a free gift. Jesus is the covenant that God made. Now, what I showed you last week also is that in the book of Isaiah, he prophesies that, that Israel was that choice vine. But in the Gospels, we can see, as I showed you last week, 
Go back and watch it if you haven't seen it before. Go back and watch the YouTube channel on it. That the, that the choice vine was Israel, but he let out his vineyard to husbandmen. And he told them in the New Testament that the husbandmen didn't keep the vineyard or produce any fruit. So he sent servants to see how the vineyard would do. Some of them killed, others they sent. Last but not least, he said, I'm going to send my son. Surely they'll receive the son of the owner of the vineyard. And uh, the truth of it is, is that they didn't receive the son. Of the, they killed the uh, son of the owner of the vineyard. And Jesus was quoting, actually, see, Isaiah 51. Let me compare some of these scriptures. It says, Now will I sing to my beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. He fenced it, gathered out the stones thereof, planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, also made a wine press therein, and he looked that it should bring forth grapes. And it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, between me and my vineyard. What could have more done, been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes, and now go to, I tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up and broke down, and the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. That happened in A.D. 70. And I will lay it waste, it shall not be pruned nor dig, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that there be no rain upon it, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. The Lord's vineyard was the house of Israel, and the men of Judah was His pleasant fruit. And He looked for judgment, but behold oppression, for righteousness, but behold a cry, woe to them that join house to house and lay field to field. And then Jesus picks up that concept and uses this same verbiage. He's really quoting from the book of Isaiah here in Matthew chapter number 21, in verse number 33, Matthew 21, 33. Here another parable, there was a certain householder which planted a vineyard, hedged it about, round about, and digged a winepress in it, and built a tower, and let it out to husbandmen, and went into a far country. He's talking about the Isaiah passage. That's what he did. And when he says to them, what more could I have done to my vineyard? In other words, I've given you every opportunity to be able to produce fruit. So when he says in John's gospel, every branch in me that does not produce good fruit is cut off and thrown into the fire, He's talking about this nation of Israel who refused to be connected to the true vine. And he said, this is, he said he, he built a tower, let it out to husband, went into a far country. When the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to be the, to the husbandman, that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandman took his servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, and cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. And when the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do to those husbandmen? They say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their season. He's talking about the rejection of Israel and the inclusion of the Gentiles, because these scribes and Pharisees in this last verse will tell you they knew Jesus was talking about them. And then he says, Jesus saith unto them, Did you ever read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same as become the head of the corner? 
See, that's a quote from the New Testament as well, where he's the stone the builders rejected. He's become the head. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say unto you, the kingdom shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but whomever it falls on, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spoke of them. Duh! He's talking about the, the branches are about to be removed. These wicked husbandmen and this vineyard was about to be taken to them. Even the parable of the sower is a parable of the same thing. He sowed good seed in his field, but the children of the kingdom were the children of the Old Testament kingdom that didn't produce any fruit. He bind them into bundles, and the harvest was the end of the King James original says the end of the world. Every other translation says the harvest was the end of the age, but not this age, the end of that age, and they were burnt in bundles, and they were literally, literally all of that came to pass in 70 AD when the vineyard was taken from them. Their exclusive covenant with Yahweh was now no longer exclusive. It was literally brought Gentiles and Jews both into the same covenant. And then he says this, which I think is powerful, in Isaiah 42, he said, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. This prophecy, once again, is talking about Jesus. He's the servant whom I delight in. He was my elect that my soul delights in. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. This was fulfilled in Jesus. You see these scriptures quoted again in the New Testament. I don't know if we realize how much of these Old Testament scriptures are quoted in the New Testament. A bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto victory. He shall not fail, nor be discouraged, till he have set judgment in the earth, and the owls shall wait for his law. Thus saith God, He that created the heavens, and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth, and that which cometh of it, that he that giveth breath unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, will uphold thine hand, and will keep thee, and I will give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light to the Gentiles. So Jesus, God is saying here in Isaiah, I'm going to give you my son as a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles. So Jesus becomes the covenant to open the blind eyes, to bring out of the prisoners from the prison, uh, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory. Will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images? The former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them, sing unto the Lord a new song, His praise from the end of the earth. You shall, you that go down to the sea and all that is therein. He's talking about the new song of the new covenant. And uh, he's talking about, again, the inclusion of the Gentiles, that the people that sat in darkness saw a great light. We will see these same scriptures quoted again concerning Jesus in the New Testament. Here's one in Matthew 12, verse 17, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. This is the exact verbiage of the text I just read. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. 
direct quote from Isaiah 42, 1 through 10. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised weed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory, and his name, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Once again, he's talking about a fulfillment that was fulfilled. Jesus perfectly fulfills these prophecies. And his first public message. Yeah, let me just read this to you from my notes. Jesus perfectly fulfills these prophecies. His first public message was that He was sent to open the eyes of the blind, set at liberty them that are bruised. He came to be a light to the Gentiles, to the people which sat in darkness saw a great light. And the Isaiah passage, He told them that the former things were about to pass away, and God was about to do a new thing. The new thing was the new covenant. The new song was the new song of the new covenant. It was the new creation that included both Jew and Gentiles in Christ who is the true vine. Jesus Christ is the servant whom He delighted in. God put His Spirit upon Him that He might bring judgment to the Gentiles. The mystery which was hid from ages was about to be revealed, which was Christ in among all of you, the hope of glory. The new covenant is between the Father and the Son, and because we are in Him, we are included in the covenants of promise. If we are not in the Son, then the new covenant is not given to us, because God said, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel after those days, saith God. And if we are not the Israel of God that is in Christ, Christ who is the Israel of God, and God made that covenant with the Son, I will give Him as a covenant for the people. And since the covenant is between the Father and the Son, you and I are included into that covenant because we are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, then we are included in that covenant of promise. And we are included in this covenant. And if we are not in Christ, who is the Israel of God, then we have no right to the new covenant, because God said, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. The house of Israel is not the ethnic nationalistic people over there. It is all fulfilled in Christ, who is the centerpiece of the gospel. We cannot miss it. The point here in Romans 11 is not the branches, it is the vine. He is the true vine, and we are simply the branches. I think that's why the Gospel of John opens with the Genesis motif, because it starts out by saying, In Him was life, and the life was the light. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. It's because John's Gospel is trying to show you this good news is not just to Israel and to the Jew, but it's to whosoever will that calls on the name of the Lord, they can be saved. Uh, now, you know, I, and I, let me just read a few things from my notes. I said, before you accuse me of teaching replacement theology, let's explore more scriptures. Let's see what the scripture says is Israel. Exodus chapter 4, which I've quoted before, but this is the verse for it. In Exodus 4, verse 22, it says, And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called him my son out of Egypt, as they called them. So they went from them. They sacrificed unto Balaam and burned incense to the graven images. Now that's Exodus talking about Israel is my son. It's my firstborn out of Egypt have I called my son. He was talking about his covenant with natural Israel. Uh, so in the Old Testament, who is Israel in these Old Testament texts? Clearly, it is the ancient nation known as Israel, which was finally destroyed by the Romans in A.D. 70. 
Now let us look at how Matthew treats this same statement. To give the context of this story, Joseph and Mary are warned by the angel of the Lord to flee into Egypt with their family because Herod sought to kill Jesus. They were instructed to stay there until the death of Herod. And then in chapter 2 of Matthew, verse number 14 and 15, it said, When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod. Look at this. Look at this. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. I'm telling you, Jesus clearly fulfills and replaces natural Israel. But let, hear it like this. Jesus is not replacing anything in the sense of they're excluded. He's simply becoming the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that if Israel wants into it as a nation, they have to come through the same way that you and I do, and that is through faith in what He's accomplished. Matthew declares with clarity that Jesus is the true Israel. Jesus was His firstborn. After the death of Herod, He called forth His Son out of Egypt. He was the true vine. Since Jesus is the true Israel, and we have been placed in Him, then we are the Israel that the below Scripture in Peter is talking about. We are a holy nation and a royal priesthood. Let's compare some more Scriptures. God says this to natural Israel in Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 and 6. He said, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my commandment, and you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation, these are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. That's what he said in Exodus to the nation of Israel. But now look at Peter. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10. Again, a fulfillment in the new covenant, but Peter says, but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who's called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past, talking to the Gentiles, which were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Peter is showing you the fulfillment of the promise in the inclusion of the Gentiles. The Apostle Peter leaves no doubt that Christ's followers are chosen for the same purpose for which the nation of Israel was once chosen. Jesus was the seed to whom the original promise was made. Jesus was God's firstborn, and out of Egypt have I called my son. He came back up out of Egypt after the death of Herod to be the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. He was the fulfillment of the promise to David that out of his loins would come he who would never vacate the throne. Jesus did not come to make more promises. He came to fulfill the ones God had spoken through the Scriptures. He was the true tabernacle. He was the true Lamb of God. He was the true bread that came down from heaven. He was the true promised land, and He is the true Israel of God, and He is the true vine, and we are the branches. I, I, I said, I, I put in my book, I get accused of preaching replacement theology, but I submit to you that replacement theology is a theology that tries to replace Jesus with the national political Israel. But that is not the Israel of God. Jesus is the true Israel of God. He is the great I Am. I am not replacing Israel with the church. I am replacing the, the modern nation of Israel with Jesus. Jesus was always the seed to whom the promise was made. See Galatians 3. And then I'm going to read a few things 
about the blessing of Abraham. The promise of God to Abraham was, I'll make of you a great nation, and I will bless thee, make your name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you, curse them that curse you, and you shall be, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. That promise was fulfilled in Jesus. The nations are blessed through Jesus. The, the, the great nation that made that He made was the holy nation called the church in Christ. Jesus fulfilled the promise that said, I will make your name great. We are the children of Abraham by faith by faith in Galatians 3 verse 7. We are in Christ the blessing of Abraham that comes upon us through faith. The promise that I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you is not to natural seed of Abraham. It is to those who are in Christ. Jesus challenged the Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees, when He said to them, If you're Abraham's seed, you would believe My words. And My word, because the children of Abraham are the children of faith. So then uh, Jesus told them, you are, not, you are not the seed of God, and you're not of Abraham. You are of your father, the devil. Here's the, here's the chapter, even in, uh, that was in John chapter 8. Verse 44, he said, You say you're Abraham's seed, but if you were Abraham's seed, you would believe my words. But because you don't believe them, you're not Abraham's seed. You are of your father, the devil. That's John 8, verse 44. And then we see in Galatians 3, 6 through 14, Even as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him for righteousness. For you know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law, are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no man is justified by the law in sight of God. It is evident. For the just will live by faith, and the law is not of faith. But the man that doeth them shall live in him. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise through faith. Now to Abraham to his seed were promised, but not to seeds as many, but one seed, which is Christ. Here let me read to you another one. It says, For then, for you are our verse, this is Genesis 3. I'm not I'm sorry, not Genesis, Galatians 3, 26 and 29. For you are all children of God by faith in Christ. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. And if you go, you know, I, I sometimes think about Romans 2, verse 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is he a Jew that is a circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. In other words, all the book of Romans is leading up to this 11th chapter where everybody pulls it out of the context and starts to throw it, well, you know, uh, you know, throw, throw it like natural Israel is the one that's the, the true vine. They're not the true vine. Jesus is the true vine. But he, he's, he's telling you several places throughout this. He reiterates it over and over and over. Romans 4. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that altar which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. 
Romans 9, verse 6 and 8, Not as though the word of God hath been taken known effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are all the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall your seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. That's Romans 9, verse 6 and 8. He tells them at the end of Romans 9, the, the chapter of the children of Israel, be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. Paul is talking in this text about a remnant of natural Israel who would believe in Jesus, would become a part of the household of faith, which would be a true Israel of God. That's how all Israel is saved, is those that are in Christ Jesus. And so, you know, uh, when he talks about the branches being broken off, he's talking about, again, the natural seed of Abraham being cut off that did not produce fruit, that the vineyard was let out to them, and they were the husbandmen and didn't get it. You know, let me just kind of kind of bring this uh, part to a close. I, I wrote this in my book, and I thought it was so powerful. I said, I used to hear it preached that Israel is God's chosen people whom He really loves. Then bad theology taught us that we were, that there was a parenthesis of time where God would take the church to be the Israel of God and to make Israel jealous. Then once Israel turned to God, he would once again return to his first love, Israel. That always made me feel like I was his second choice. It is almost as if you are the rebound relationship in the story. As soon as his true love takes him back, he is going to dump you and go back to her. I say to you, you were the first choice. You were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. The church is not second class, and you are not his second choice. You are the love of His life. Let us look at the Scripture in the Amplified Bible because it tells us that the slave woman and her son will never be heir and share in the inheritance with the son of the free woman. In the verses below we will see that the old Jerusalem represented the old covenant and the Jerusalem which is above the Messianic kingdom of God is free and she is our mother. And and I'll just read that to you from Galatians and try to close. Tell me you who are bent on being under the law, Will you listen to what the law really says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the handmaid, one by the bondmaid, one by the free woman. But whereas the child of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, had an ordinary birth, the son of the free woman is born in fulfillment of the promise. Now all this is an allegory. These two women represent two covenants. One covenant originated from Mount Sinai, where the law was given, bears children destined for slavery. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds and belongs in the same category with the present Jerusalem, for she is in bondage together with her children. But Jerusalem above, the messianic kingdom of Christ, she is free, and she is our mother. For it is written in the Scripture, Rejoice, O barren, who has not given birth to children. Break forth into a joyful shout, you who are not feeling birth pains. For the desolate woman has many more children than she who has a husband. But we, brethren, are children, not by physical descent, as was Ishmael, born, uh, but born according to the flesh, despised and persecuted him who was born remarkably, according to the promise and the working of the Holy Spirit. So it is now also. But what does the Scripture say? cast out and send away the slave woman and her son, for never shall the son of the slave woman be heir and share in the inheritance of the son of the free woman. So brethren, we who are born again are not children of the slave woman, the natural, but of the free woman, the supernatural. I don't know how to make it any clearer. You're the true Israel of God because you are connected to the right vine. All Israel is being saved and the remnant was included, some of Israel, some of all nations. But that, the true vine is truly Jesus. I'm out of time. If you'd like to sow a seed in the ministry, simply go there and hit that QR code, and it will give you a place where you can give directly. Thank you for joining us. God bless you. 
I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.